None of us should remain stagnant in our faith. If you've ever seen in the hot Maine summers a pond that has no outlet, you have seen a picture of stagnation. How many know what I'm talking about? Green algae, mossy stuff, parasites, frogs, salamanders. You know what I'm talking about. A stagnant pond. On the other hand, I don't know if you go hiking at some of our pristine mountains or around some of the lakes here in Maine, and you've seen one of those bubbling brooks, you know, the kind that have brook trout in it, that are just crystal clear flowing over the smooth stones, and you see this life-giving water that's so clear and wonderful, you just want to take a cup and scoop down and drink it. That's a picture of what it's like in our faith if we're stagnant versus moving. A stagnant believer collects all kinds of parasites, spiritually speaking. They just kind of go nowhere. And as a result, we collect this junk in our lives. On the other hand, if we're taking next steps, if we're moving to becoming like Christ, and that is the goal in this next step series as we look at First and Second Thessalonians, is to become like Christ. That's the goal of the Christian faith. It is to be like him. And that's what the Apostle Paul would pray. He would pray for the church to become like Christ. He would pray that Christ would be formed in us. And we all have a next step. So are you stagnant right now in your faith? Or are you moving? What is your next step? For some people, a next step could simply be coming to an understanding that I am loved by God. I need to understand that I'm, I'm loved by God. And you just need to come and experience koinonia, the fellowship of God's people. And know what it's like to be loved on without any pretense, without having to perform. You are simply loved because you are a child of God. To be loved. Some people have a hard time internalizing the love of God because of what they've experienced in their life. But let me tell you, the Bible says that God is love. That's an awesome concept. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave to us. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the love of God for some people, just coming to that understanding is your next step. For others, your next step is to believe. You believe in God, you, he exists, but you've never taken the next step of actually repenting of your sins, of, of understanding you need a savior and you need to give your heart to Christ, turn from your sin and turn to him. And then experience what's known in the scripture as the new birth, where old things pass away and behold, all things become new. Some of you today, that's your next step. And for many of us, and I have a hard time figuring out why this is, but for many of us, we've believed on the Lord Jesus. We've repented of our sins. Our next step is we need to be baptized. We need to be immersed in water. And if you're a believer to the Lord, in the Lord rather, have you been baptized? You said, well, yeah, when I was a little infant, I was christened. That's not what I'm talking about. Baptism means to be immersed or to be plunged in the water. Have you taken that step and been baptized since you believed? That's an important next step. 
And we can help you with that next week, just so you know. For others, a next step would be to move from just from a believer to a belonger. What do I mean by that? A belonger is somebody who's in community. You belong with other believers in the household of faith. You're in a small group. You're investing in other people's lives. You have a spiritual family that you're connected to. And some of you, you've never taken that step. You come to church, which is good. You've believed on the Lord Jesus, which is wonderful. You've been baptized, but you've never really felt like you belong. Maybe that's the next step for you. For some, your next step is just to become generous. You need to learn to be generous. All your resources you consume on yourself and your family, and God's saying, hey, it's time to seek first the kingdom and be generous with the kingdom first, and I'll take care of these other things for you. For, other, for others, rather, a next step could be be trained. Come to Growth Track. We have Growth Track today at both of our campuses, and you, you're trained in ministry. You're trained to serve. That's what the word ministry means. It means to serve. And for some, that's your next step. You say, but I'm busy. I got a family. I don't have time. You don't have time to serve once a month at one service. You don't have time to give back to somebody by just giving them a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. It's a, it's a big next step for some people. For some, your next step is to get more bold in your faith and share. Share with people at work. Share with people in your family your faith. That's a big step. And for others, perhaps some of you, have, you've gone down through the list, oh yeah, I've been doing all these things. Praise God. But there's always something that we can grow in to become more like Christ. And for some of us, it's a step of obedience. As far as you know, are you obeying God in every area of your life or is there this something? My point is this, that we can all take next steps to become more like Christ. And if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who indwells every believer, he will lead us and guide us in that journey into all truth. We all have a next step. What is yours? What is your next step? Well, today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'd like you to see it from the eyes of the author, who of course is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is in Athens, and you'll recall that he planted this church in Thessalonica and got the boot. He had to leave, run for his life, and the church was young in their faith. And so now he's in Athens, he's working in another church, in an environment that's very hostile to the gospel, like Thessalonians were, Uh, and he is concerned about them, he's thinking about them. He is a concerned parent. And I think it's apropos that on Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about parenting. And we're going to draw a parallel between spiritual parenting and natural parenting here today based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul and his relationship as a spiritual parent to the church at Corinth. And you'll recall that Paul's integrity has been insulted, uh, assaulted rather. And so he's taking these first three chapters to set the record straight. And as he is writing to them, he wants them to know how he feels about them. You know, sometimes with guys, you know, we get this macho thing, and we don't want to let people know how we feel. 
We'll let them know what we think in no short order. Well, this is what I think, but we're reluctant to let them know how we feel. But how many know good parents, whether it's spiritual parents or biological parents, good parents know how to share what they feel? And so together we're going to see what a true spiritual parent looks like, again, drawing the parallel with a natural parent. And I want to look at six attributes in particular of a good parent. And I don't know how you were raised. I hope you had good parents. Some of us did, maybe some of us didn't. But regardless, we can all, at this season of our life, whether it's with our biological children, our foster children, adopted children, spiritual children, we all have a role in helping others to grow and to mature. And so what are the attributes of a good parent? Let's take a look. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. 13 verses here. We'll kind of break this up in a couple chunks. But the first five verses, Paul says this. So when we could stand it no longer, he says that three times in this, could stand it no longer. He's, he's away from his spiritual kids. He can't take it. We, which really means him, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, because he's writing from Athens. And so we sent Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege, his spiritual son. And he sends Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ. And why did he send Timothy? To strengthen and to encourage their faith. Why? So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So they are undergoing persecution, trials, difficulty. Are you today? Any difficulty in your life right now? They're going through these trials. He doesn't want them to be unsettled Why he's concerned about them. He is their spiritual parent. He wants all to be well. For you know quite well that we are destined for these trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, that there would be trials. And in particular, this persecution was coming at the hands of people that did not have faith in the Lord Jesus. And it turned out that way, as you well know. And for this reason, here he says it again, when I could stand it no longer, I just can't stand to be away from you. I just can't stand to be separated from you. I just can't stand the thought of not knowing how you're getting along. How many know they didn't have Facebook Live? Isn't that amazing? It's kind of like the Jetsons now. You remember the Jetsons? And if you're old enough to remember the Jetsons, you can kind of watch the person. They, they were kind of prophetic in that. Now you can just, you know, get on your phone and, hey, how you doing? FaceTime people. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I sent Timothy. I wanted to find out how you were doing, how you were getting along. I know you've been going through trials. And I was afraid that in some way the tempter, of course, that's referring to Satan, the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So let's unpack this a little bit in the context of attributes that make a good parent. Again, drawing a parallel between a spiritual parent who's caring for those that are under them in the faith and a natural parent. Same attributes are effective in both. The first is this. A good parent is affectionate. Affectionate. Primarily what I mean by that is with words, with words. A good parent is affectionate. They are able to express 
how they feel about their children, whether it's their natural children or their spiritual children. It's an important characteristic. Now, I don't know what it was about some generations growing up where they had a hard time expressing, especially the males, had a hard time expressing how they feel. For example, we had a a dear friend of our, when Lisa and I first got married, there was a, a couple in our church that were married about the same time that we were. And uh, when we moved out of the area here, they stayed here. And so we remained friends and we would get together occasionally, even though we were a few hours apart. And I'll never forget the day I got the phone call. The phone call came in and my dad has had a heart attack. Would you come? So Lisa and I jumped in the car and we drove home here. And by the time we got there, he had, he had passed away. And I remember going in, and, and when you've been in that environment when someone passes away, you know, it's almost surreal. You know, the atmosphere is just, it's just a, uh, there's nothing else that quite like it, that feeling in the room when someone passes. And when they pass in the Lord, um, there is some comfort to be found, but it's still just a, just a strange feeling. But what I'll never forget about coming home was this. His father's still in the room, you know, the... They're coming to, to get him, and, and the son is sitting on the bed, and his head is hung, and it's just this, this strange, strange, sad moment. But what struck out to me was what he said. He said, I know my dad loved me, but he never told me that my whole life. And I remember just thinking, How could someone have a son whom they loved but never verbalize their affection? Now, I'm sure it was obvious in some of the things he had done for him and and so forth, but just never said the words. How many know the power of life and death is in the tongue? A parent has a responsibility. Even if there's some tension between the child to verbalize affection. Communicate how you feel. There's something about that affirmation that helps people blossom and do well, even when they know they're being wayward or stubborn or rebellious. When you look to the scripture, we see a marvelous affirmation. I mean, it doesn't get any more affirming and affectionate than this. When Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. You remember that encounter? What happens when Jesus comes out of the water after he's baptized? The heavenly father, in a booming voice, people are like, did it thunder? What is that? They hear a voice, and what does God the Father say? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Talk about affirmation. Talk about affection. Part of the reason Jesus was able to go through with his entire mission was because he knew he had the approval of the Father. And can I tell you, as a parent, a spiritual parent, a a biological parent, now a grandparent, I do not hesitate to tell people how I feel. 
It wasn't always easy for me. It was for me to tell my wife that, how I felt about her, but I've had to learn to tell people what I'm, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Listen, give your children affirmation. Give them affection. Tell them how you feel. Don't just assume they know. And I'm not saying you have to be all sloppy and kiss them all. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with kissing. I know the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. We will put that in practice in our family, maybe not on a Sunday here in our culture, but there's something about affection and this warmth that comes out of us when we speak these words to our children, whether they're spiritual children or biological children or natural children or adopted children, speak these words of affection. It's so important. And Paul is speaking to the church through the letter, and he is saying, listen, I can't stand to be away from you. You're, you've done so well. In chapter one, look how you've labored in love and hope and endured in faith. And so proud of you. So proud of you. Such an important thing to do. Especially for us guys. We've got we've to do that. Sometimes it seems it's a little easier to verbalize that for mothers. I'm so thankful for my mother who is just, and my father. They both always affirm me. They both showed affection to me. So I never like struggled with like insecurities because I just knew, hey, I'm loved. I must be awesome because my parents love me. <laughs> second thing, let me go on here. The second characteristic of a good parent is unselfishness. A good parent is unselfish. A good parent puts the needs of their children, whether it's spiritual or natural, above themselves. And we see this demonstrated here in that the apostle Paul sent the best he had. He's he's in Athens, which is a harsh environment full of philosophers that are trying to beat him up over the gospel, and he's fighting to establish a church there. And Timothy is his son in the faith, his most loyal colleague. He loves him. But he can't stand the fact that the Thessalonians are struggling. He doesn't know if they're struggling. He doesn't know what's going on. He knows they're being persecuted. And so he says, okay, do I keep Timothy here with me? Because I really need his help. I'm lonely. I need his support. Or do I send him to check on them? And so he's got two options. And what does he do? He says, you know what? Even though I need him here, I'm sending him to you. Because I, I separation is not good for me. I need to know you're okay. And he unselfishly, selflessly sends Timothy to check on them. You know what? As I look down on on Mother's Day, one of the things I am most grateful for in this world, and someday I think I'll always look back on this and say, I am so grateful that I had a mother who was unselfish, who put my needs above her own, and I've seen her do it countless times thousands of times over my lifetime. I'll give you an example. Today, Mother's Day, I get up early and I called my mom. She lives in Florida at 5.55 this morning. And I did it just by accident. Little did I know, I call her up and she, I said, happy Mother's Day, mom. And she said, you called me at 5.55. Now, in case you don't know, five is the number of grace. And so she just said this. She she enjoys this kind of thing. She said, everywhere I look, I keep seeing fives all over the place. And it just meant a lot to me that you would call me at 5.55. And I'm like, yeah, I planned that. (laughs) 
Actually, the only reason I called her at 555 was I wanted to call her before my sister did. (laughs) And I think I beat her. I can't tell you how many times my mother has selflessly, unselfishly put herself down and lifted up her kids. How many thousands of, countless of times have she done that? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. That little baby comes into the world. It's like God does this for us to to teach us what it's like to be unselfish. Because how many know our calendars change when that baby comes in the world? When they're hungry, you might be hungry, but you're going to take care of them first. You might be tired, but if they're awake, you're going to go take care of them first. You might need to go to the bathroom, but if they went to the bathroom, you're going to take care of them first. You know what I mean? You've got to take care of them. There's something about that that's so wonderful. That, that's the role of a parent. And when someone is new in the faith or someone in your family gets saved or someone at work and you've had a part to play, you know what? What's more important than your immediate needs is to help them grow in their faith, to help them until Christ is formed in them. And so we kind of, as mature people, put aside our needs and we begin to meet the needs of others. And there is a sweetness about that. There's a grace that God gives us when we take that role of being like Christ, of being like Paul here, and saying, you know what? This would benefit me, but for your benefit, I'm going to put my needs down, and I'm going to take care of your needs instead. Just a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. A good parent gives their time, their energy, their money, their heart, their effort. In every way, a good parent is unselfish toward their children. And that's part of why we love our parents so much when they've done that. On the other hand, some parents never quite learn that lesson. Call them narcissists. It's always about them and about their needs. I saw just recently in the paper that a little girl down in the south, went to school. And when they opened up her backpack, a bunch of bugs came out of her backpack because the mother had neglected her. She's taking care of her stuff and didn't the young girl's stuff. Whenever we see examples like that, it just, you know, it kind of turns our stomach. How could somebody do that? How could somebody do that? Well, we have to learn. We have to learn that part of the responsibility of being an adult, whether it's a spiritual adult or a natural adult, the part of our responsibility is to put the needs of others before ours. And as we do, those under us will be blessed. Amen? A good parent is affectionate, learns to communicate how they feel, and a good parent is unselfish, puts the needs of those that they're over and care of above their own. And a good parent is also compassionate. That's the third attitude, attribute rather of a good parent is compassion. The reason he said in Timothy, verse two, he sent Timothy was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. He was concerned with them being strengthened and encouraged. Why? Because he knew they were going through trials. And here's part of when you grow up and you go through a lot of pain yourself personally, It should work in us a heart of compassion for those that are going through the same things that we've gone through. Isn't that how it works? Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians as well. 
The same comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit when we go through our trials, when we went through our marital crisis, when we had a hard time raising that teenager, when we went through cancer, when we, whatever we went through, the same comfort we receive from the Holy Spirit, now we are prepared because we've been through it. We've seen the faithfulness of God. We know that we made it on the other side. Now we take that and with a heart of compassion, we begin to reach out and help others. And Paul was very familiar, very familiar with pain, trials, and persecution. Everywhere Paul would go on his missionary journeys, two things would happen. There would be a revival, a spiritual revival, a bunch of people come into the kingdom and a church planted, and there would be a what? Revolt. There would be a mob. There would be... They want to lynch him. You know, they want to kill him. A riot, a revival and a riot everywhere he went. He was familiar with suffering. He'd been beaten. He'd been stoned. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been hungry and naked and tired. And he'd gone through all this suffering for Christ. And so he knows this church, this baby church, has no mature leadership. And they're being persecuted for their faith. And it's wrecking him. He feels their pain. You know, in our home, I wish I could say I'm the compassionate one. But every time one of our children go through a trial, a sickness, an illness, you know who they call? Their mother. Every time in the night when one of the kids would get up, I mean, occasionally I would do it. I had no problem changing diapers. I had no problem feeding the kids or watching the kids. But when they were hurt... They went to mom because she felt their pain more for some reason. I don't know. I was like, are you bleeding? Are you bleeding? You're okay. Go. (laughs) Mom had a little more compassion, would just bring them in and meet their needs, emotional needs. There's something about a mother that has the ability to do that. But that is an attribute of a good parent. They, They feel the pain what the children are going through. Because they have been comforted, they know what it's like to bring that comfort. And I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm a work in progress. How about you? Some things, some of these attributes come a little easier than others. This next one probably is a little easier, although Mama Bear has this one too. And that's the fourth attribute of a good parent. That is, a good parent is protective protective. You know, as a teenager, you kind of, looking back at my teen years, I would kind of get mad. How come I can't hang out with that friend? How come you won't let me date that person? And now it's a little, even more intrusive. You ain't looking at my cell phone. You're not going to look at my Facebook. But how do you know it's a parent's responsibility to be snoopy? <laughs> what do I mean by that? To take an interest in your children, and not have this laissez-faire attitude, hands off, all right, you raise yourself, basically. We're not to let our kids be raised by wolves. We're to protect them from the wolves. You should know who your children's friends are, what's on their phone, and what's on their social media. Now, when they become adults, that's a different dynamic, but while they're under your care, it's your responsibility to protect them. The Bible says this, bad company... Don't be deceived, because we get deceived in this. Bad company, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, I think. 
Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Yeah, my, my kid's a good kid. Yeah, they are. But if you let them hang out with bad company, they will be corrupted. It's just the way it works. So it's our responsibility in parenting to protect them. Drive away the wolves. Don't let them date the rebel. Teach them responsibility. Protect them. Don't take this hands-off approach. And the same thing happens with those that we care about spiritually. That's part of the reason why we've kind of going through a, a bit of a metamorphosis and preaching more books of the Bible so we can be more comprehensive in communicating to you the full counsel of God. So, for example, recently we have preached through Second Peter and Jude. And how many know that those two letters specifically deal with apostates and false doctrine and things to beware of? Why do we do that? Because we don't want you to be deceived. We don't want you to be led astray. Part of being a spiritual parent, a pastor, a shepherd, is we want to make sure that you're cozy, safe, right? We want to make sure that you're healthy spiritually. Every other week, just so you know, our pastors get together and we go have breakfast together and we talk about you and we talk about the good things that are happening and some of the challenges some of you are facing and pray for you. We lift you up before God. We want you to know we are here to help you grow and spiritually mature. It's our job. So let us help you. If you're going through a hard time, let us know about it. Let us pray for you. Let us walk with you. Let us show us you the word and, tr- and try to encourage your faith and strengthen your faith and That's what Paul's doing. For this reason, when we could stand it no longer, verse 5, I sent out to find find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We don't want Satan to outwit you. We don't want you to be deceived. We don't want you to shipwreck, your your faith to be shipwrecked. We We want you to be safe. We want you to be protected from false doctrine, from wolves, from bad thinking, from bad theology. I want you to be safe. It's part of the reason why God puts leadership gifts in the church, spiritually speaking, is to help you, right? That's why. I want you to do well. We rejoice when you do well. And you can see this coming out in these next few verses as we talk about a good parent. A good parent. A good parent is also grateful. Listen to these in verses 6 through 10. And see if you just can't see Paul smiling on the inside as he's writing this. As his heart is so warmed and affectionate and loving towards this group of people who are so young in the faith but doing so well. But Timothy has now just come to us. So we send him to you and he's come back with a report. And he has brought good news about your faith and love. I like good news, don't you? He went and he sees the church and he said, Paul, you would not believe it. I know we were only there for a short time, got this church started, no mature leadership in the church, but these people have caught on. 
They love Jesus. Their faith is growing. They're full of hope. It's an amazing work that God is doing amongst them. And Paul gets this report and he is overjoyed. He is lit up. He's told you, told us rather, that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us. Just as we also long to see you the third time. I can't wait to see you. I can't stand it. I gotta see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Let me just say this. Really, 1 Thessalonians is an exhortation to a faithful church. The Apostle Paul, this pastoral heart for the people, is writing an exhortation to really commend them and to instruct them and to encourage them because they're such a wonderful church. How many know the church in Athens, church in Corinth, some of these churches were more problematic for him, especially the church at Corinth. They were always getting into sexual sin. They're suing one another. They were, you know, comparing one another. There was a mess. They were like, they'd keep him up at night pulling his hair out. But not this church. This church brought him joy. This church just warmed his heart. And let me say this, that 25 years of pastoral ministry, like in a week and a half, I've had the privilege of pastoring several churches and being a part of many churches and church plants and all. This is the Thessalonian church for me. You are the best group of people that I have ever pastored in my entire life. Now, don't tell the other churches that because they're good too. But this is the Thessalonians. You guys are wonderful. And listen to what he is, how grateful he is for this church. He said, for now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now we're really living. Parents, you can relate to this. When your kids are thriving, you're really living. But when your kids are in trouble, when they're struggling personally or emotionally, when they're being picked on at school, when they're adults and their marriage is struggling, when there's a sickness that hits them, when your children are not doing well, how many know you're, you're never really in this place where you can say, now I'm really living? Because your heart is burdened because you love them. But when your children are doing well, it, you just light up. It's like, now I'm really living because you're doing well. And it creates in us a heart of gratitude. Thank you, God, for these beautiful people. For now we really live since you are standing firm in your faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Can you hear it? Can you see him smiling as he's writing it? He's just, oh, this, you're so wonderful. I just love you so much. You're standing firm in, in spite of all the, the trials. The tempter hasn't tempted you. You haven't left the faith. You're thriving in the middle of it. And it just brings us so much joy. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. Even though you're doing well in your faith, you don't have it all. You're just young in the Lord. So I can't wait to come back and teach you more. Notice his heart for these people, how grateful he is to God. 
that Christ is being formed in them, that the church is flourishing. You know what this translates to in modern life? It's a single person who's attending our church, and they're fulfilled in Christ, and their relationships are healthy, and they're not discontent, and they're not troubled. They're living a life filled with joy. Because they love Jesus. They love their church family. They love people. You know what this looks like in our It's a, a married couple. And maybe they've been through some ups and downs, like most couples do. But right now, they have peace in their home. They are enjoying their relationships. God has healed them. God has blessed them. It's children that are growing up in the faith and not leaving and forsaking God, but they're they're grounded and rooted in the faith. It's, it's the blessing of God. It's, it's joy. It's the kingdom, even in the middle of trials. It's just such a wonderful thing. A good parent is grateful for the time they have with their children. When their children are, are struggling, that compassion kicks in, but when they're doing well, they're just so thankful. Now they're really living. And this All this propels us into the last one, and we'll close with this. And that is a good parent is prayerful. Prayerful. Paul wraps up this section in the final three verses of chapter 3, and he wraps it up with a prayer. That's not unlike Paul to wrap up a chapter with a prayer. But this prayer, it's a pastoral prayer, it's a spiritual prayer, parental prayer. It's, a, it's just a prayer that brings this, I don't know, this covering over the church. He says this, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. We, Lord, please make it possible that I can see him again. And may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May your love increase. May you just be the most loving people. Your love for the Lord, your love for each other, your love for us, may it just overflow. And may he strengthen your hearts. I mean, no, there's times we just need strength in our heart. This is one of those seasons in my life. I just... Lord, I just need strength in my heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And that leads us into next week as we begin to talk about end times things and he begins to set the stage there. But may he strengthen your hearts so you'll be blameless and holy. Blameless and holy and holy in the presence of God. There's something about deep affection for somebody that causes us to remain in a state of prayer for them. Not that we're constantly mumbling words all the time. The Bible talks about continue, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. What does that mean, that we're always mumbling? No, it means it's that spirit of prayer. They're always in our heart. If you're a biological parent, isn't that how you are with your kids? 
They're on your mind every single day. And when they're doing well, you rejoice and worship and are grateful and pray for their continued doing well. And when they're struggling, you pray even more that God would be with them, that God would work them through these trials and these circumstances. It's a continuous. They're always in your heart, always on your mind. Your grandchildren the same way. Our church family, for me, the same way. Always offering prayers. Someone comes just praying, always thanking God for you and praying for you. Hey Amen, that's a good parent. I want to be a good parent. How about you? I want to be a good parent to my children, to my spiritual flock. I want to be affectionate, tell people what I feel. I'm proud of them. I want to tell them I'm proud of them. I love them unconditionally. I want to, I want to be like that. I want to be affectionate. And I want to be unselfish. There's times when I'm tempted to want to meet my needs before somebody else's and one of my kids, but I want to be unselfish. I want to put their needs above mine. I want to grow in compassion when someone is hurting to show that same benevolent spirit that tries to encourage and strengthen and lift up. I want to be protective. I want people to walk in truth. I want people to be protected from wolves. Don't you? I want this church to be that way. I want to be grateful and thank God for all that he has done and for the responsibility, for the privilege of being able to speak into other people's lives and to care for other people. Thank God for that which will always keep us in this state of prayer. And a good parent is prayerful, all the time praying, all the time praying in communion with God on behalf of others. Amen? Close with this verse. This is John's take on it, just to reinforce what Paul has just said. In 3 John 4, he said this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want my children to walk in health. I want my children to walk in prosperity. I want my children to walk and achieve their goals in life and experience things in life. I want all that for my kids. But you know what I want most? I want them to walk in God's truth. That's eternal. How about you? And I have no greater joy in this world than when my biological children, my spiritual family are walking in God's truth. Amen. Let me pray that over you. Father, on this Mother's Day, 2019, Lord, I want to thank you for these beautiful people that have come to worship, to fellowship, to hear the word of God. And I pray, Lord, for Christ to be formed in each one. Lord, that we may know the hope of our calling. That we may be filled with the knowledge of you and of your will. That we may be encouraged in our faith and strengthened. And Father, I know for all of us, there is a next step. For some, it is to express faith in Christ, to repent of sin and to call on Jesus as their Savior. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that most important step of all. And that's to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. 
The Bible says if we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead. Do you believe that? If we believe that, then we need to confess him as our Lord. In other words, he's the boss and we're not. He's in control. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. That's called repentance. We turn from our sin and we turn our affection to God and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in Christ and what he's done. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord, my Savior. And then take the next step of obedience. Whatever that is, whatever the Lord asks of you, you just take that next step and continue to grow and become like Christ. Let's pray together. I just ask you to pray in your heart to the Lord as He's the one who hears our prayers. It's amazing to me that He can listen to seven and a half billion people all at once and know exactly what's going on in everyone's heart and mind. God, you're awesome. We come before you now and we acknowledge that you are a good father. You are the model parent, our heavenly father. And I would ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us, regardless of where we are in our journey with you, to take a next step in obedience to you, a next step in becoming like your son, Jesus, our Savior. And I especially, Lord, my heart goes out to those who have not expressed faith in Christ and not repented of sin. If that's you, I would just ask right now that you pray this simple prayer with me. Just under your breath right now, just pray this with me. Dear God in heaven, I do believe in you. And I believe in Jesus Christ that he is your son. That he died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I turn from my sins. I ask for your forgiveness and I put my faith and trust in you. Come into my life. Help me to know you. Put your spirit inside of me and teach me your ways, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.